Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Today we have a brand new episode with Phil Decker. Phil was a wildland firefighter in the Rocky Mountains back in the day, but suffered a major back injury. And we're going to be talking about that. And for a lot of people, that would be the whole story. Uh, How I found my way after breaking my back, um, doing what I loved. And so we're going to fast forward 20 years though. And Phil has been uh, a sales leader for a team, met someone uh, when he was wildland firefighting. They're married with kids and he has been an athlete and running this whole time. But right around the age of 40, he, he wanted to really get back in shape, picked up running again, doing his thing, doing a great job, and just loving life, a really great time of life. Kids were young, having a good time, doing all kinds of stuff, staying active. Well, one day he goes in to, to, for, for a doctor's appointment, and they were like, hey, by the way, you know, we've lowered the age that you need to get a prostate exam. And he was like, okay, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. Well, guess what? He had cancer and it was bad. And all of a sudden, this was a year ago, by the way, all of a sudden his life was flipped on its head. And we're going to hear about how that last year has been, how he's been dealing with that, and what the most recent news is. We do plan to hear an update from him as well about the cancer in the next week or so. So if I remember and he tells me, I'm going to share that in an upcoming episode. But he, he's on a mission now to get other people to tell this story and to share with the folks they know to make sure they get checked for cancer. Um, because it it was just, if he had not have done that that day, I don't know if he'd be here talking to us. But I love his perspective. I love how he's dealing with it. And I love what he's learning through it. And I'm always blown away by people who who get faced with something like this. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can't. Maybe you will one day. I don't know. But I'm very inspired by stories like this, so I cannot wait to get into this. And also, Phil is a huge fan of Athletic Brewing, the non-alcoholic brewery that I work for, so uh, it was great to connect on that. But before we jump in, uh, you can learn more about Phil at his website, tell5friends.org. All right, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. You heard a little of Phil's story in the intro but Phil, welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm doing great, Mason. Thanks for having me. I've been a longtime listener, as I told you, and super excited to be able to to get to talk to the man in person for sure. Oh man, that no, no. I you know I forget sometimes people actually listen to this stuff. I I, I put it out there. I, I just enjoy having the conversations. It's like a bonus, uh, a bonus to be able to share it with the world. But really, the the bread and butter of what I love to do is get to know people like you who are done really cool things, have amazing stories. And I, I feel like being able to send it out there to the world is just the cherry on top. So, I mean, it's awesome that you've been listening. That That is really cool. I love connecting with folks who've been listening, especially for a while. But uh, I always ask this first, uh, Phil, where are, you, where are you coming from today? And if that's not where you're from or if that's not home, where are those places? Sure. So I, I grew up right outside of Indianapolis, Indiana. I went to Colorado State, for, did my undergrad at Colorado State. I was a really outdoorsy kid growing up. I had a lot of ADD, so I needed something to kind of run that off a little bit. Yeah, same here. <laughs> I played a lot of sports. Uh, pretty much anything you, you put in front of me, I would do. I loved climbing when I was growing up. I loved rafting. We would go to uh, the Garden of the Gods in southern Illinois and go climbing, and then also the Red River Gorge in Kentucky. You know, that was almost 30 years ago before Red River Gorge was really even a thing. So those are super cool days. I loved, uh, I loved rafting when I was in high school. I took a group of 20 people on a rafting trip down the upper Gauley when I was in my senior trip for high school, just really enjoyed the outdoors and skied and things like that. And when it was time to go to college, I went to Colorado state. I got a degree in forestry and wildfire science, really enjoyed that. I fought fires all through college on a little local type two crew, Larimer County Sheriff's Group, and had a lot of friends that were smoke jumpers and and hot shots. So as soon as I left college, I went to work for Smoky Bear Hotshot Crew out of Ruidoso, New Mexico, which is on the Lincoln National Forest. That was my dream job at the time, for sure. Absolutely loved it. The reason we were called Smoky Bear Hotshot Crew is the, the Lincoln National Forest is where they found the actual Smoky Bear at a wildfire. 
So we got to lay claim to uh, that name, which was wow. which was really cool. This Rudoso, have you ever been there? It's a really neat town. It has the southernmost ski uh, ski area. It's called Ski Apache. Just a, a neat a neat area, southern New Mexico, probably about hour and a half northwest of El Paso or two hours. Maybe that gives you a little bit of an idea where it's at. I started there, my hotshot crew there, hotshot career there. My first five months on the crew, we fought fire, I think, in 13 different states, maybe even more than that. Having the time of my life, just working all the time and fighting fire all through the throughout the country and a lot in the West. I had a major back injury. I thought I was pretty young at the time, so I thought I would just pull a muscle. And I had uh, actually had slipped a disc and I had sliced into my nerve. And mm. Yeah, it was an interesting deal. So I, I, I spent several days in the hospital and about six months in rehab. And unfortunately, at that time, my doctor said, you know, you can't go back to carrying a 90-pound pack and using a Pulaski or a chainsaw. That's probably not going to be a good life decision for you. Yeah. So I had to kind of get a real job at the time. I moved back to the Midwest, got into sales. How, how was? How did you accept all that? Because, uh, you know, a degree in forestry, it sounds like you wanted to make this a career. What What was the long-term plan, or did you have one? You know, you were on the Hotshot Crew, which, by the way, is so cool. Like, not going to lie, that is so awesome. I remember I was in Yosemite Valley one time, and not to cut you off, quick story— my wife and I, we were dating at the time and she came to visit me in Yosemite and there was fires all the time. Like there is, you know, now that was almost 10 years ago now. And, and all this, these hotshot crews were driving by, like basically responding to the fire and they were like, you know, gathering in the Valley to talk logistics and then go out to where they were going to be. And they were driving by and she goes, those dudes are so cool. And I was thinking like, Hey, hey, hey okay. I know it's pretty cool. I'm not going to lie, but chill out because you're dating me. But I, <laughs> I just remember that it was, it was really badass to say the least. Yeah. That, that was my dream job, right? I fought fires in, in college and got a degree in fire science and forestry. That is what, that is what I wanted to do. My goal at the time was to work on a hotshot crew for about five years and then go, you know, usually have to have five years on a hotshot crew to be able to go be a smoke jumper. I wanted to do that for one year and then just kind of see where my career would take me in a fire. And um, I loved it. I mean, it was it was great. We, you know, we worked all the time. I'll give you a great story. My wife from Colorado originally, she went to Colorado State. And we thought we were going to get a day off. And I said, hey, come on down. You know, maybe we're going to get a couple of days off. But they have a what's called a sit report in the fire world. And it will show you all across the nation you know, if there's fires popping up and you kind of get a good idea if you're going to be leaving. Right. So my wife comes down, we have lunch and we have a plan to, I still remember this day. We have a plan to make fajitas that night. And about five 30, we get a lightning strike on our forest. And my boss knew my wife was, in, or my, my wife to be was in, in town at the time. And he's like, and we get up, we're getting around a helicopter and there was a storm coming in. And he's like, you wait till the last helicopter, you know, and if, if the last helicopter doesn't take off, you can just go hang out with my wife and the, or my girlfriend at the time. And I had to get on the helicopter and spend the night on the mountain and it rained. Of course, the fire was out pretty quickly. You know, and it was, it was just the life that you lived. You know, you're, you're gone all the time. And yeah, I absolutely loved it. I mean, there's nothing better than, you know, rolling around in the helicopters and running chainsaws. I mean, it was a little boy's dream for sure. You know? Wow. Yeah. It was very, I think the best comparison I can give you is when a, like a professional athlete has their career cut short by an injury. Yeah. The first six months I was, I was 160, you know, just give me an idea. It's, it's, I was it's probably like that just without the money. That's the only difference. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the great thing, I, I had such passion for fire. I, you don't, and those guys still don't get paid what they're worth at all, but I, I love the job, right? You know, you, you could have, you didn't even really have to pay me. And we got a lot of, drinks bought for us in town and we got a lot of free food and stuff like that. They treated the mountain towns. They treated you like Kings. You know, we, we always wore our shirts so we could get free drinks if we had to go out of the bars. <laughs> good idea. <laughs> yeah. Good it, was, idea. It, was good living. it was kind of, I guess for the first six months when I was, I mean, all I was doing, you lose your crew, you know, you're with these 20, 20 people all the time and you're, you're going everywhere with them. And, you know, we, we, on our off days, we would, we would hang out and we'd go play ultimate Frisbee or, you know, do, do fun stuff together. And 
I all of a sudden didn't have, I was, you know, I was back in Fort Collins and rehabbing and went to Poudre Valley every day. And, you know, I didn't have my team with me anymore. Right. So it was kind of, it was a little bit depressing. And here I'd, I'd gone to school to do this and I got a permanent disability from the forest service. And I just wasn't going to be able to do what I love to do anymore. And kind of, you know, I, my plan at that time was to, you know, work on a hotshot crew six months out of the year and then just go play in the mountains for six months. You know, that's, that's what I wanted. That's what a lot of guys do. They either go ski or they go climb or the, you know, they'll go to Hawaii for the winter. It's, it's pretty good lifestyle when you're, I don't know, 22 to 30. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, it it was a big, big change. And I, I was scared from the injury. So I didn't, you know, I didn't do some of the activities that I had done for a long time because I didn't want to get injured again. Yeah. So yeah, it was a, it was a very interesting time for, for sure. And I still have friends that are in that world and, you know, there are times when I see fires on TV and, you know, there's, there's lots of aspects that I miss for sure. What led to the decision of coming back to the Midwest? Because it doesn't sound like you were in the position to take on like a managerial role or something that didn't require your body. Did you try at all to just stay out there? Or what, what, what led to that decision? Cause that's a scenario. A lot of us run into, we go off in that time of life to go do something fun in a part of the country or the world we want to be in. And personally, you know, we, there's a decision or a time that comes where it's like, well, I, I might go back to where I'm from. Something I never thought imaginable even a few <laughs> years ago here, here I am. I'm there. And uh, yeah. I'll be honest, I'm really happy with it. It's, 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 I could have never foreseen this five, six, seven years ago, but now it's like, wow. Okay. What, what was that process like for you? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I wasn't at the stage where I could really go into a managerial role. And quite frankly, I was, I was at the time in my life where I thought, you know, I want to fight fire. I want to be on the front lines. I want to be out there charging you know, that, that was, I didn't really want to be in a supervisory role at that point. Right. You know, I just didn't, I kind of, it wasn't my jam at the time. I kind of needed to reinvent myself and I didn't have really many options at the time. I've been dating my wife now for, for about six months at the time. And we had planned to go to Australia for three months. Um, I had saved up all the money and we never had to, we never had to spend any money. So that was the plan. And that, you know, just, we kind of went into chaos and I thought, well, I got to find a job. I got to be able to support myself and family had some connections to a sales job. And I thought, well, heck I'm competitive and I like to talk to people. So I'll give it a shot. Right. You know, came home to Indiana. We spent several years in Indiana. really liked it. And then we had an opportunity with a job to come out to Iowa and I'm kind of like you. I, I never thought I would come back to the Midwest. I loved I loved Colorado. I love all the mountain towns. I saw, you know, if you would have told me back then, I would have told you McCall, Idaho would, would have been the spot for me. That, you know, that that that's what I would have wanted to stay, someplace like that, right? And I've seen all these cool little mountain towns where hotshot crews are based out of, and they're all great spots, right? You know, that's, that was the place I would have been. But we ended up in Iowa. We have I have two kids. We have a 17 and 14-year-old now. We've raised both of them in Iowa. We've been in Iowa the last 13 years in Cedar Rapids, which you wouldn't think of as an outdoor capital of the world, that's for sure. But uh, very great, great people. There's a lot to do. It's very similar to like Minnesota. It's cold here, so you have to, in the wintertime, you got to go outside. You, you just got to get used to it, right? So we trail run in the wintertime. Uh, we snowmobile in the wintertime. There's a tiny little ski resort about an hour and a half away. So we just, you know, if it's if it's negative uh, 10 degrees, we find a way to get outside. Yeah, I enjoy the heck out of it. It's a great place to live. And someday we'll probably move back out west, but we're pretty happy at the moment right now in the Midwest. How was your wife moving there coming from Colorado? You said she was had, had lived there or was born there. Yes, it's a great question. So we lived in Indiana and my wife, we live in Iowa now and she'll say, you know, um, all the I states are the same, Illinois, Iowa and Indiana, they're all very similar cultures. And she's like, whatever, you know, we're going to move there. (laughs) They all got cornfields and believe it or not, she she grew up in Loveland, Colorado. She was born and raised there. Her parents still live there and we love Colorado, but Colorado is much better busier than when we, I graduated in 98, you know, that's almost 25 years ago. Right. And, um, I mean, I can remember when you drove from Denver to Fort Collins on I-25 and 
there was a lot of darkness. There wasn't lights all the way up when, you know, when you were driving, um, when in college I could, I could drive from Fort Collins to Breckenridge in two and a half hours, any day of the week, you know, even on the weekends and that doesn't happen as much anymore. So it took a couple of years for her to get used to the Midwest, but she's pretty, pretty happy here now. For yeah. Sure. I'll, I'll be honest. It's, I've learned cause we were, we were in Colorado for a long time there, right, right till recently. And, uh, it just was so busy. It was hard to enjoy a lot of the times trail from trails to driving to all that. Like no, no offense to anyone that wants to be there is from there. Uh, it just, there were places, like you said, out, out in the mountains that were so much quieter. And I'll be honest, anywhere quiet is what I enjoy now, whether that's in the middle of Kansas or the middle of Alaska, it's, if it's quiet and tight knit and just peaceful, I want to be there. So it doesn't matter where that is. Yeah, we, you know, and I mean, you know, when I was in college, you didn't have to have a reservation to go to Rocky Mountain National Park, right? We oh, would, yeah. We, we would drive up the canyon and we'd go there at one o'clock in the morning and just, you know, hike around and have a great time. It's just a different, it's a different feel for sure. Well, take us through, you know, you, you, you had the injury that brought you back. I guess the next thing that probably happened in, in the, the, the timeline is some sort of midlife crisis. I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't come across that a lot when reading about you, but t- tell me about what's the story there. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. My friend described it as like I was, you know, having a midlife athletic crisis. So it was really me just deciding at that point that I wanted to really get back into shape, go back to, you know, my competitive days and, and, and to play in the mountain, do, you know, climb, do stuff in, in the mountains. So I did several things. I built a climbing wall in my garage. I started running, which we'll get to a big part of the story. I uh, started lifting weights again, just, just started getting back into really good shape. Um, listen to a lot of podcasts like yours, you know, heard adventures. And these are things that I wanted to do my whole life that I just, I just didn't do after, after my back. And I thought, Hey, I'm not, I'm not dead yet. I'm only 40. It's time to uh, get back to, to, to living your principles and, and the things that you enjoy. So I listened to some podcasts before and I'm sure you've heard these themes and they always say to do something that, uh, that you hate doing. Right. So <laughs> I never ran more than a mile in my life and liked it. I could promise you that I never ran a 5k or anything like that. So I started running um, very slow and very short distances, you know, a half mile. And then I'd work up to a mile and I ran my first 5k in 2017, um, I think 24 minutes at the time. And then I, the next, next year ran a half marathon, was running a lot of 5Ks, and I was doing pretty well locally in, in those races. And um, 2019 rolls around. I had actually, that the summer before that, I'd gone back out to, I'd gone to the Grand Teton. I wanted to climb the Grand Teton my whole life. I'd gone out there and screwy deal in August. I think we got a freak snowstorm, 12 inches. So there wasn't enough snow to have crampons, right? You know, and yeah. you slide all over the place if you had crampons, but there was enough snow that you really couldn't, you couldn't really go up. Right. So, you know, just things like that, going out and climbing, there's a great climb. We're about two hours from Devil's Lake. I don't know if you ever heard of Devil's Lake in Wisconsin. They have an AAC uh, meetup there every October. It's great, great little crag in a really neat place. So we go, we go climbing up there and there's some spots to climb here in, in, in Cedar Rapids. Um, so 2019, I make the decision that uh, I'm going to run a marathon for my first time. I figured if I'm going to run a marathon, I might as well have a goal. And I, I made it my goal to qualify for the Boston marathon. Uh, my friends have been running for a long time. Probably thought I was a little bit nuts at the time, and, but I said, what the heck, you know, I might as well do it. Um, so I ran my first uh, marathon in Indianapolis in 2019. Uh, I ended up qualifying for the Boston Marathon with about a nine-minute cushion. Um, and then pandemic hit, right? You know, so things got a little screwy. Um, finally get a chance to run Boston as the first uh, the first fall marathon um, in 2020, 2021, uh, last fall in October. And uh, about... October 1st, first week of October, I went in for a routine physical. I am not 
a person that's, you know, I've had a lot of injuries in my life, but I never get sick. And I can't, can't remember the last time that I missed a, uh, missed a day in work. And let me ask, at this point, you were getting into marathons, getting healthier, and I'm sure feeling good. Yeah, From 40 great. to uh, this, uh, this past, October 21. What were some of the goals in place for your life at that point? Well, like, was it to go back out and try the Grand Teton again? Was it, you know, continuing with marathons? Like, what were some of those things? What was life like? It seems like it was on an upward, a more positive trajectory. Not that it was bad before. Yeah, absolutely. My life at that time, well, I was in an absolutely great, great place. Family was great. I was actually, I wanted to go out. I was getting ready to book my trip to go out and climb the Grand again that summer. I was going to, I was going to run the Boston Marathon in April of 2022. And I also planned, I had already signed up to run the Chicago Marathon. I was going to climb as much as I possibly could leading up to the Grand I mean, I had a great, great year plan. Super excited. I was in wonderful shape. I think my resting pulse rate at the time was between 41 and 43. Things were great. Family was great. Um, I mean, you know, I felt felt really good about life. So to get into the story, I go in for a my my routine physical. And at the time, everything was fine. Blood work was fine. No problems, no issues, right? My doctor, Alicia Allen, at the time says to me, she's a friend of mine. She says, hey, Phil, you know, they just changed the colonoscopy uh, screening age from 50 to 45. And I was 45 at the time. And they had literally changed this three months before. And so I reluctantly said, well, you know, hey, I'm in great shape. I mean, they just changed it from 50 to 45. Why the heck do I need to get one? You know, I'll just wait till I'm 50. And she insisted. She said, hey, they changed it for a reason. Colon cancer rate has really gone up in the last few years for young people. I really want you to get it. I said, okay, whatever, right? So I go out and I run Boston in October. I have an awesome time. Um, really enjoyed myself. Had a great time in the running community. It was my first one. I didn't I didn't listen to all the great I, I listened to it, but I didn't really experience it, right? Everybody says, hey, you got Boston's a downhill course and you're gonna fry your, you're gonna fry your quads. By the time you get to the uphill part, which comes about mile 15 to 20. Is that heartbreak hill? Yeah, heartbreak hill is within that. But so the, you know, you like, you watch YouTube videos and you think you're going, you think, oh, it doesn't look like you're going, you know, really downhill. But the first 15 miles are a net downhill about, I think they're about 700, 800 feet. And that pounds your quads and you know you think oh you're going downhill everything's good right so then about mile 15 to 20 you start going up and downhills and the uphills start getting really really tough and uh, I was not ready for that so I come back um, I had had a blast come back I get a coach I'm getting great shit we do a speed we do eight weeks of speed I roll into January 5th and I have my colonoscopy scheduled go in that day it's a I wouldn't, it's a typical Midwestern January, upper Midwestern January day, right? You know? And this is just over a year ago. Yeah, this is just over, absolutely, just almost, I mean, we're six days, seven days from a year ago today when I had my colonoscopy. So I go in, it's cold morning, it's about 10 degrees, 20 mile an hour winter, you know, six inches of snow on the ground. Get my colonoscopy and uh, when I get my colonoscopy, I come out of there and uh, the doctor starts asking me a lot of questions. Do I have blood in my stool? Do I have cramps or anything like that? And I kind of joke with them, you know, I'm sure you heard this, you know, if you, if you run a marathon, you're required to kind of tell people about it, right? It has to come up in every conversation, especially <laughs> if you run Boston, right? So especially I said, hey, Boston. right. Yeah. I said, come on, man. I just ran the Boston marathon, you know, I'm perfectly healthy. What's, you know, what's the problem? He's like, well, you know, I, I don't know if you're perfectly healthy. Um, I need you to go get some blood work and talk to a, uh, a cancer counselor. And, and this is directly from the colonoscopy. Like you yeah, could tell I'm, right away. Yeah, I'm still I'm still half in the bag, right? And my wife's kind of freaking out a little bit. I have no idea what's really going on. So they send me down for blood and then they I talk to this care counselor and she basically alludes to, you know, hey, we found a mass and 99% sure it's cancer. So the next day, they'd already done the biopsy, find out that I have a, I have a five centimeter mass in my colon. So that's definitely colon cancer. They do an MRI and a CT and a PET scan, and they find seven, um, they find seven spots on my liver. 
So at that point, I'm diagnosed with stage four colon cancer with with Mets to my liver. And life got real interesting real quick there, man. I mean, what did you think? I like, you get you get that, you get the blood work. They say that's, you know, 99% cancer already developed to stage four out of four, right? Four out of four stages. Yes. Yep. Uh, so yep. it's the most serious version of colon cancer. And I mean, what what's immediately going through your head? The first thing is immediately going through my head and, and what makes it different than like an injury and, and, uh, and some illnesses is that you meet with an oncologist and the oncologist I met with locally, you know, they, they kind of give you the what I call the odd speech. And he tells me at that time, he says, hey, in two years, there's a 50% chance that you'll be alive. And in five years, there's a 25% chance that you'll be alive. And that's a sobering conversation. You know, I was only 46 years old and I got two kids at home and and a wife. And, you know, I, I, I felt really good about the year coming up and I thought things were, you know, things were going great. So I kind of sat back and I, I thought about it and I thought, hey, you know, I've done some interesting things in my life. I mean, I worked on an elite hotshot crew, qualified for the Boston Marathon. I thought, you know, I could beat the, these, this 25 percent. I'm going to figure out a way to fight this and I'm going to figure out a, 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 a way to, to beat this. And I've been in sales my whole life. So I my my biggest thought was, hey, I've preach to people my whole life about having a great attitude and doing the right things, you know, and here's my chance now to step up and, and be faced with probably the biggest verse in my life and really to live my values. Right. So I, they got me to the Mayo Clinic very quickly. That's the closest major cancer center to us. And once I got the Mayo Clinic, I had a great doctor there and he said, Hey, Phil, you know, let's, let's not get crazy about this thing. I think you can survive this. I have plenty of patients to survive this. And, that gave me all the boost that I needed when he said, you know, not that you're going to be 25% alive in five years that you can, you can make it out of this. We can find a way out of that, that side of it. He gave me a plan. We had a chemo plan and a surgery plan and it was kind of like a marathon. I just thought, okay, I'm going to approach this as a marathon. I'm going to start eating really well. I'm going to stop drinking. I, you know, I did all those things I kept working out. I wanted to make sure, you know, I kept, when I had chemo, I would run every other week. I'd, I had chemo in sessions every other week. So I'd go through chemo for three days and then I had a couple of days where I just felt really bad. And then I'd have a week where I felt really good. So I would run and I would do things. And, you know, the kids and I had a ski trip planned. We went to Sun Valley for spring break. I made sure that I still did that. You know, everything that I had planned, I said to myself, Whatever I can do to do that, I'm going to do it, right? Um, So I got really lucky. I go up and I get this plan, and the idea is we're going to do five rounds of chemo. We're going to start in February, and that's going to go till about April 1st. And then you, before you have a major surgery, I was on a blood thinner as part of my chemo. Um, They want you to be off chemo for like three to four weeks. And they said, we'll schedule your, we'll have a major surgery at Mayo on May, May 4th. That was the plan. And I said, well, okay. I said, you know, I'm signed up for the Boston Marathon. That's on April 18th. I'm like, what do you guys think about me doing this? And um, they didn't say no. So <laughs> I, I took that as a yes. Um, and I kept running. And one of the, so some really cool things happened along the way in this deal, Mason and I. The first day that I was in chemo, I get this backpack from this family that had a has a son, Jack, who had been diagnosed with brain cancer at five. And He's still alive today. He's 23. And this family, every, every family in my county that, you know, that goes through chemo or goes through radiation, if you're a patient, you get this backpack and has all these neat things um, for cancer patients. And it also has Jack's story in there. I looked at this story and I thought, here's this kid that's been through heck, you know, that his, his family's had, they've been through the ringer. Right. And they took, they took really bad lemonades and lemons and they made lemonade out of it. And I thought, I got this great platform to run the Boston Marathon. Um, and, you know, why don't I do something with that? So we made the decision at the time, Jack had gone to a children's cancer camp. We, we made the decision that, hey, we're going to use Boston as our platform to raise money. Um, and we ended up raising for, for, for the Boston race, we ended up raising $13,000. We sent 12 kids to camp and I think we bought like 62 backpacks for cancer patients at the time. 
Um, so, and, and I, you know, I, I listen to guests on your, your show all the time and I know what kind of guy you are. I'll be, I always want to be really honest when I'm on podcasts. I was not, this was not my love language. I had, I, you know, if you came to me and you said, Hey, we got a good cause and I believed in, I'll write you a check. Right. But I had never really raised, gone out and raised money for other people. Um, and what I found out was, and I hope somebody here listening that may find this out for themselves. It was incredibly fulfilling. Yeah. It was a huge boost for me because I could go out and I could help other cancer, cancer patients. And I love people. I just, I'd always been really busy. I just had never looked at, you know, taking care of others as, you know, something that I just had time to do. Right. And it turns out that that's a very fulfilling thing to do in life. And it was, a huge boost to me because I didn't have to think about cancer. I could think about raising money and, you know, and I had to train because I had to survive and, and, and run at the Boston marathon because I couldn't let all these people down. that were writing checks for these people. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. so that allowed me to stay super, super focused. And then along, along that same time, when, when you have a major illness or you have cancer, people always ask you the biggest question you get is what can I do to help? I have a great boss. I work for a great company. I have good insurance. We were in a pretty good, we were in a pretty good shape compared, you know, to some people that have to go through this thing. So my wife and I kind of put our heads together and we said, you know, we got this platform and the press had kind of got a hold of my story, you know, and the hospital and, you know, I was doing interviews and I thought, well, I want to do something good. So we came up with, a, we, we have a foundation now. It's called Tell Five Friends. And the whole premise of that was, if you, if you come to me, Mason, and you say, um, hey, Phil, how can I do to help? Our goal is that you take my story and you go tell five of your friends so they'll get their colonoscopy at 45. Because I was the poster child for somebody that wouldn't have cancer. I was in great shape. I ate well. I was doing all the right things, right? And you were technically five years younger than the recommendation of 50 that had just got moved down to 45. So there's, there was, I mean, a chance that you wouldn't have known for another five years until signs started showing up in you. I would have been dead within six months if I, if I wouldn't have got my colonoscopy. Because you would have never taken action because you had no indication you had cancer. Yep. Wow. Yep. And by the time I had symptoms with this kind of cancer, you're in a world of, I would have been in a world of hurt Jeez. for sure. Way, way worse than I was. So we started this foundation and um, cool, cool story. I know you like stories. We, our goal was to save one life. So right before I went into chemo, we uh, get seven of our, our seven couples together and we go have a, a nice dinner. And, you know, I'm not going to be able to eat or taste food for a while. And um, in that group, there was a friend of mine whose wife had had symptoms for two years. Now, she's only 39 years old. And she hadn't gone in and gotten a colonoscopy. Well, because of my diagnosis and and you know, her, her husband being able to prod her, she finally went in and got a colonoscopy. Um, and she at 39, she came out at stage three. So that was the first life we kind of saved with this, this campaign. And I've had several friends, probably over 300 people get colonoscopies and probably at least 30 of those come out with precancerous polyps. And that's been a huge deal for us too, because you know we've been able not only to save one of our friends' lives, but to save other people's lives. And we've turned that into a foundation. Now we're gonna we're gonna raise money and do you know a run next year and a golf tournament. And you know, two folds is is to raise awareness to colonoscopy with my story, and then second is to raise money for cancer patients. Um, so I know you're gonna think I'm nuts when I say this, but 2022 was the toughest year in my life but it was the best year of my life. I mean, you know, from adventure sports, sometimes the toughest things turn into the coolest things, right? And my cancer adventure has turned into something really, really cool. I've, you know, I've, I've done things that I never thought I would do. Gotten to come on podcasts and tell my story with great people like you, people I've listened to for years, right? I mean, I made myself a better person, which I, I strive to do every day, but I would never have done this fundraising or this foundation, it, I, I wouldn't have stopped to smell the roses and to do something for other people, right? Believe it or not, this has probably been the best year of my life from a 
growth standpoint and, uh, you know, doing cool stuff standpoint. What, what do your kids think about this? I'm sure the conversation telling them was really difficult. Like, Hey, this is going on, but maybe seeing the, how the last year has gone for you. What, what, what do you think they'd say about it? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Well, it's it's interesting. So when I when I first talked to them, I said, you know, I wanted to try to make life as normal as possible. And I said to him, I said, hey, listen, you know, this dad's not going to use this as an excuse. And you can't either. You know, you guys both do well in school. You you have activities that you do that you do well in. And I want you to you know, make sure that you, that, that you're still prioritizing the things that matter to you. Um, and that dad will fight this thing and we'll, we'll do everything we can. You know, we, we didn't tell him the odds or anything like that. We didn't want to, you know, burden him with that. Um, I've always, I don't know, kind of like an ultra runner or a marathoner. I've always, uh, I like to suffer in my own space. Right. So yes. I never had anybody that went to chemo with me. When I was in the hospital, I, I probably spent 15 days in the hospital in the last year. I never had the kids. My wife would come see me. I never had the kids come see me. I was at Mayo for nine days after my surgery. I never had the kids come see me because I didn't want them to see, you know, I, I, I just didn't want to burden. I didn't want them to burden, you know, put the burden on them at all, mm, for sure. That's interesting. Yeah. It was interesting, though. They really didn't quite, you know, they thought dad was just fine. You know, he's out running. You know, this is no big deal, right? So finally, after I came over my surgery, I have, I have a 12-inch scar that goes from about my breastplate, you know, all the way down well below my belly button. And I had to show him. I'm like, hey, this is real. You know, dad is kind of going through something, you know, because at, at that point, they just thought, whatever, you know, dad, dad'll be okay. But, I, you know, what? I, I really looked at it as my chance to, to, to walk the walk, not just talk the talk, right? You know, and I had signed up for a lot of things and we got a rule in our family that if you sign up for something, you finish it. Right. Mm. You know, I, I looked at Boston and you get a little further down the road after I had my surgery. I, I start chemo again in August. I, I had a three month recovery from my surgery and I, I Chicago marathon pops up. Right. And I, I went on to run that we raised another $13,000 and, you know, that was another goal. I had three goals when I started, I said, I'm going to go on spring break. I'm going skiing with my kids which, which didn't turn out to be really easy. Um, one of the side effects from one of my drugs is it's neuropathy in your hands and your feet and every, you're really sensitive to cold. Well, it's 40 degrees in, in Idaho. Right. And you'll get a kick out of this. I I'm skiing in a full face mask and goggles, right. Where normally I'd be skiing in a t-shirt and sunglasses. You know, it's one of the you know, bluebird days every day. Right. But uh, every time the uh, error would hit my face, it was like somebody was stabbing me with little needles, you know. So here I am in full face mask and and in um, goggles. But I got to you know I got to spend the time with my kids and you know I, the three major goals that I had I, I did. And you know when they look back on it, I hope they remember that you know when Dad was fighting cancer, he didn't he didn't he didn't give up on his life. He made sure that every day he was trying to live his life that he's always lived going back to when I was 40. I kind of, you know, I kind of changed, got back to what I was doing that, that one of the other great things about cancer is it, it gives you one heck of a, it gives you an awesome perspective, right? So you're just that much more motivated to go do cool stuff and have great adventures. I've always been a liver, but now I am really living for today. You know, I wake up every day and I, I don't waste a moment. I just, just to kind of get you up to speed on the story uh, I just finished chemo about three weeks ago. And then yesterday I went to Mayo for my scans. And after all, you know, after following the protocol and having two surgeries, I'm I'm cancer free today, you know, wow. for, for, for the next three months. So I get, you know, I get to go on adventures in, in, in 2023. I, I'm going to go back and climb the Grand Teton. I'm going to, I plan on doing rim to rim to rim to rim. We're going to do a run with about six or seven people in the Grand Canyon. I've always wanted to do that. I'm going to go run the New York City Marathon with Live Strong. You know, I'm a, I'm that much more motivated now to get out and do adventures and the great stuff that I hear on on your show. You know, I 
I hear you talk about the the divide race and things like that, you know, and those those are things now that I'm not going to just dream about. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out a way to do them. You know, there's, there's a Tim McGraw song, you know, I'm sure it's very popular. It's about someone getting cancer to live like you were dying and uh, talks about doing all the things that you, you've always talked about doing. Do, would you say, what, what would you say would be a, a, maybe a misconception about living with cancer for the last year or a, a part of the, the perspective or the life that maybe you didn't see or didn't know what it was going to be such a big part of it, good or bad. Yeah, that man, that's a good. You ask good questions. Um, so that's a great question. Yeah, I know, yeah, and you're really good at it. I've listened to you for years. Now I feel like I've been put on the spot. Um, <laughs> so I really think that you know, like I talked about before, I didn't think that there'd be a lot of gifts from cancer. I really thought, boy, this is just going to stink, and I'm going to. I'm going to be in treatment and I'm going to be sick all the time. And, you know, it's not going to be much fun. When I wasn't sick, I found out quite the opposite that, you know, I could still live my life and I could still do things that I wanted to do. The other big thing that I'll take out of it is the cancer family is the family that nobody wants to be in, but it is one of the best families out there. People that have gone through cancer or have cancer, they know what you're going through and they'll, they'll, they'll do anything for you. I am constantly amazed at how many people that either had cancer or lost a loved one will start a foundation, you know, for cancer research or, or cancer patients. One of my heroes, Terry Fox, guys like that, right? Who ran a marathon every day across Canada. Unbelievable, right? His foundation, all of you knew this, they've raised over $800 million since he died for cancer research, right? You know, just... And there's stories like that all over the place. And I'm just amazed, amazed that I've been so inspired by a bunch of people that have really been handed, you know, some of them been handed death sentences and they've taken it and they've just, they've done everything they can to make the world a better place for people and especially cancer patients that are having to go through this. And I, that I've never, that, that has been absolutely amazing to me. In some ways I'm glad that I've, I've learned that. I mean, it's just, it's an unbelievable group of people. And I mentor people that have cancer. I've had people that mentor me. You know, if you told me you had cancer tomorrow, I'd have a conversation with you offline. I'd do whatever I could to help you, you know? And I, I've met so many strangers that, that throughout the country that I talk to on a regular basis that I, we have a, our bond is cancer and we, you know, we do anything for, for, for each other. I mean, that's, and I, and if you would have told me, you know, I, I, I'm sure you've heard of the 80, 20 rule. If you would have told me before this started, I would have said 80% of cancer is going to be bad. 20% is going to be good. And I would tell you now that 80% of my cancer journey has been great. And 20% of it has kind of sucked. You know, I've, I've had so many people on this show who've had major injuries or falls or things that ended their adventure career. And that's the story that we talk about. And I've been blown away, the, not all, not all, but I've been blown away by the amount of them, the majority of them that say, I'm really, I'm glad this happened. It's changed me so much uh, in a good way. And that's probably why they're willing to talk about it on the show. You know, there's a lot of people that don't feel that way, but the people that I've talked to, it, I'm surprised. Like you said, it, you, you put it perfectly. It's not the family anybody wants to be a part of, but once you're in, it's, uh, you know, you you really get to understand the joys within it and the beauty, um, almost the best aspects of humanity and life come out of all that pain. And uh, yeah, it, it's not like researching all of it and looking at it. I, I, there's like a tinge of jealousy, which is obviously not considering the negative, but it's like, wow, that's that looks amazing to be a part of that amount of joy and, and that perspective on life. Of course, the entry is such a high cost and is devastating a lot of times. No one, like you said, no one wants to be a part of it, but weirdly there's probably this sense of like, I want to be a part of that too. Thankfully you can be a part of it without having to go through it. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I think you put it perfectly. One other thing I want to say too, is that I've learned, you can fight cancer, and I have friends that have been been there. 
you could fight your butt off, and a lot of people do. You know, people always say to me, and there's a misconception, they'll say, oh, you're such a fighter, you're going to beat this, right? There's a lot of people that really fight hard against cancer, and they run out of time. And they didn't fight, you know, and, and, and who knows, you may be having a different conversation about me in two or three years. It may come back, you know, something may happen, right? Yeah. But those people that, you know, that, that, that maybe run out of time, they don't fight any differently than people that survive cancer. They, they, they fight just as hard. And just sometimes, you know, some people, some people lose the battle with cancer, but it doesn't have anything to do with how hard they fight. And I just want people to understand that, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll say to somebody, Oh, you fight so hard, you know, you can beat this. I can do everything right. And I can still lose, you know? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of great people that lose the battle and they're not, they didn't fight any harder or less than me. They just, you know, just wasn't the, you know, the odds caught up with them or it just wasn't their day. So, so the perspective you've learned in the last year, you said 80% good, 20% bad. It's been an overwhelmingly positive experience. And, and I, I don't think I, I acknowledged how awesome it is that you got that report yesterday. I think it's because you technically told me before we recorded. So maybe my reaction was uh, subdued a little, but congratulations. That's, I mean, I'm sure you're on top of the world right now and just feeling like a million dollars. I danced out of there. Oh man. That's so great. Yeah, uh, but excited. tell me this, do you feel like what you've learned or the positive aspect, how is it different than your back injury? Because you had another really life altering circumstance then you don't feel like you talked about it the same way. How, how are they different? Do you look at them similar now? So one similarity was, and this is really interesting that at both times, and I think this is important for people to understand, both times I was, in terms of life, I was killing it. Life was going really good, right? You know, I mean, I had my goals in front. I was doing exactly what I wanted to do. And sometimes life doesn't work out perfectly, right? And you have to understand that you can be having the best day of your life and you may get in a car wreck or you may find out they have cancer or, or something bad happens and you have to be willing to, 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 to pivot a little bit. And, you know, I, I just would caution people just to understand that you, everything can go right and something bad can happen in a, in a hurry. And just, just to be, keep that in your back of your mind and just, just be, chief, just be prepared for that, you know, cause it, it does happen. But I think the biggest thing is I did not, go and help other people when I hurt my back. I was more selfishly worried about myself at that time. Um, and I was a lot younger and it was a different place, but that's the biggest change is I took a negative and not only made it positive for myself, but I made it positive for other people. And that's a huge, you know, that's honestly, that'll stick with me the rest of my life. That's probably biggest gift I've ever gotten in my life, honestly. And I hope that there's, I, hopefully there's somebody out here listening to this podcast that says, you know, I don't know what I've wanted to do, passion to help other people, but now I've thought about it and I'm going to go do something about it. And I, I encourage people to do that. And I think that's, that's, that's the biggest change. That's awesome, Phil. That's, that's a really good point and a really awesome thing to point out is that helping others makes the process easier on you, way more fulfilling, and obviously helps helps others. All right. So you you got the news yesterday that you're 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 cancer free. That's also life changing. Uh, about a year later, year and a week later, what do you think is going to stick with you now from now on? If you continue cancer free forever or if it returns at some point what do you think is going to be long-term long-term change in Phil? And uh, what are you most looking forward to now? Biggest thing is I will always, you know, we're going to have, a, we have a foundation. We filed all the paperwork. We're always going to raise money for cancer patients. I will, this is going to be a fundamental in my life. Um, the second part is, you know, I think you did an episode one time about, you know, how to do an adventure on a budget, right? I will, if I say, you know, like, let's say the Grand Teton this summer, hey, maybe I don't have quite enough money sitting in my account to do that. I don't care. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. 
you know, I see a lot of people that get to 70 or, you know, they're going to retire and they're going to do all these things and maybe they haven't taken care of themselves to get to that point. So when they get to that point, they find out really quickly that they can't do everything that they wanted to do. So I'm going to, no matter what the cost, I'm going to live for today in any adventure that I could do or any trip that I could take, I'm going to do it. And the other big thing that I've learned out of this thing is we, we worry about a lot of things that really don't matter. You know, sometimes maybe you, you, you yell at your kid and it's really not that big of a deal. I yell, I, not that I was a big yeller before, but you know, I don't yell at my kids anymore. I mean, what's the point? I want to have a great relationship with my kids, right? You know, if there's something that happens during my day that's a problem, I don't get all bent out of shape about it. I don't lose sleep over it. I don't not go work out or not, no, not go for a trail run because those are the things that are important. It's not the, it's not the problems that are going to come up every day. It's stay true to what you like to do and stay true to what makes you happy and how you can make people around you happy. Man, I, I, I want to let you get back to it. I'm sure there's like a million people you want to talk to and tell and, and, and get on with training. I know you've got uh, some more marathons coming up, the Grand Teton. What, what, what's coming up for you as far as adventures? And then we'll wrap up. Well, I had a buddy call, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go out to Colorado and ski a couple of days. I'm gonna book my Grand Teton trip later on today. <laughs> I'll get my flights in. You know, get my rim to rim. Get a date set for that. You know, I wanted to make sure that I was cancer free. I didn't want to put a. I don't. I don't want to be a burden on somebody like on the like rim to rim, right? You know. Right. So I want to be make. Sh- I'm, I'm gonna get in shape to, to 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 get back to doing what I love doing. Wow. Like I just became an ambassador with the athletic brewing, which I'm super psyched about. And I learned about it through you guys. Right. I, I haven't had a drink in a year. I probably won't drink much going further, but it's nice to be able to still hang out with my buddies and have beers. And I want to be able to talk to other cancer patients and say, Hey, you can still have a beer that tastes really good. It's just not going to affect your treatment. Right. You know, exactly. so not affect your treatment. And for you, yeah. If, if you're, if you're craving, you know, an alcoholic beer, you've earned it. And, uh, now, now you don't have to worry. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to live my life, man. And I appreciate the opportunity to just, you know, hopefully I'll get to meet you in person sometime. And, you know, I'm, I'm living the dream, man. I'm going to get to do whatever I want. I get to talk to people like you that I've been listening to forever. I've found that I have a passion for public speaking. Um, and that helps me spread the word. So I'm going to try to get as in front of as many people as I can this year and, and talk about colonoscopies and, and speak to groups, you know, whether it's, I, I spoke to a big cancer group in October with like 800 researchers. I don't care if it's 10 ladies at the local library or a thousand people. I just want to be able to, to tell my story and get people to get a colonoscopy and hopefully make the world a better place, I guess. First of all, Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.